A fox knows many things, but a hedgehog knows one important thing. One important thing. One important thing. Welcome to the Spiritual Hedgehog Podcast, where we explore the role philosophy and faith play in your daily life. Here are your hosts, Sarah Gardner and Pastor Eric Dahl. Hi, everyone. Welcome to part two of my conversation with Eric about enlightenment or also known as emotional well-being. Again, please forgive the audio quality. We had some uh, profound radio interference that I've attempted to filter out as much as possible. And, uh, but we just thought this is such an important conversation that we went ahead and shared the video anyway. So thank you for being here and I hope you enjoy the conversation. So the next, the next category is, is this idea of our, the changes in our perception, meaning that we increase our focus on the present. Um, this gets to be uh, similar to the work of Eckhart Tolle, this idea of just being aware of, of all of our senses, uh, not just what we see, but what we experience, we feel. Uh, it can become part of a meditation practice, mm -hmm. but it's also that when we have you know, all these elements in combination, reduced thoughts, reduced emotional uh, drama, um, a, a reduced sense of self, consciousness and self-awareness uh, that allows us to be more fluid and more aware of all the things happening uh, that allows us to just experience a greater active participation in the world. Um, and what's uh, interesting about all these categories is well-being doesn't say that you don't have like you're not this, you know, uh, the stereotypical monk and the uh, hermit monk up on a mountain uh, living this kind of passive life. It's this idea that you return to your stable state much more rapidly. Uh, you might, you're still going to have emotions. It's not going to, you're going to be without emotion, but you're going to be more aware. You're going to have greater perception and you're going to be less triggered. And you'll, if you have been triggered, you'll return back to a harmonious stasis uh, in your life much faster. That's, yeah, well, so I, I guess the way I would relate to that personally right now is thinking about, I know in the past, I mean, granted, the last time I really moved was probably 25 years ago, and I remember how stressful of time that was and how, you know, everything's new and had to figure everything out, you know, right then, right at that time and just so hyper aware. And this time, I think one of the one of the steps I made, and I told you this, earlier was is first of all I wanted to say goodbye well and and mm -hmm. and jump into my next call even though there were starting to be emails coming in and yeah there were a couple things I had to respond to real quickly but but you know to be pre some of that that perception stuff to me it has to do with with how you can just be present in what you're doing and then into the move I told you early on in this as as you know we were just kind of re getting to know one another again after a few weeks off of this. Um, mm -hmm. that's my my um, uh, senses have just been hyper aware. I'm sleeping better. And then I wake up refreshed and ready for, for another day in, in my, and in, in what I, I guess what I'm saying about that is, is, is even the, you know, the fights that I might have with Katie or when you start to bicker about where something goes or, you know, kind of those, those, those mm -hmm. conversations that you have, I think both of us just sort of recover quicker. Yeah. And it's, it's like, 
yeah, you know, we can, you can kind of place it for where it is and um, trying to just and, and take note of uh, it was an interesting reaction to that. And then you go out and go about your day. And instead, what I used to do is beat myself up, you know, for a, a response that was out of line or out of character. I'll still apologize. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But at the, which I think is important, but also I was always tended to be one of those over apologetic people and, and would, would want to make sure they really understood that, you know, that, that I was sorry or that I did that wrong or, or whatever it is. And I think now it's, it's almost the graciousness that I hope I extend outward. But the other thing I had to do is extend that graciousness inward as well to say, it's okay. You know, don't have to figure that out. You didn't have to do that perfectly. It, you know, no, you didn't understand all the dynamics in, in that conversation. It's okay. Yeah. Well, I like, the, I, I like the idea of your thinking about the fact that when you move to a new place or when you go on vacation to a new place that you've got your heightened senses. And, uh, and as a photographer, um, it's very easy to be addicted to that. Uh, sense of awareness and and I always tell my students that um, it's easier to photograph in the exotic location because there's a newness to it that makes you totally aware the challenge as you grow your your career is to keep that in your familiar places and that you can actually grow deeper understanding if you can maintain that awareness and you can make even more profound uh, photographs in your own backyard if you can have this heightened sense of perception. Nah, interesting. Yeah. So how how does that work with m me needing my uh, three, you know, my couch and my two chairs to be back in my living room so I can have that place where I can rest and and uh, just see that it's I still have a familiar familiar place to come back to. How do I heighten? You know, how do I see the colors? I suppose differently in in the chairs or, or, you know, as I step into the backyard and have certain things that I put out there that, that remind me of where I've come from, but how do I see those things differently? Is that what you're talking about? Or is there more, more yeah, well, yeah, I mean, a little, little flippant there, but. No, but. no, what's interesting about that is what you, what you brought up is dealing with symbolic perception. For example, I can look in the background behind you and see a painting of uh, Colin Kaepernick. I mean, Jesus, mm -hmm. um, right? Yeah. And it's loaded with symbolic meaning, mm -hmm. right? But, but to raise my awareness, instead of me focusing on the meaning of the symbol of Jesus, and maybe even um, focusing on the meaning of a dark-skinned Jesus, which I love, uh, I can focus on the diagonal lines of purple, green, and yellow, and the circle, and, and just focus on perceiving uh, and feeling the experience of the color, uh, that it's having a psychological energy, transmitting energy to me with these radiating color lines. And so rather than being focused on the symbolic of, oh, that's my favorite couch, I can be focused on the bigger idea of, oh, there's something here for me to sit on to give me a relief from standing. Nice. 
you know, and when you talked about your, you know, you're waiting for your couch to be in there, I thought, ah, but you know what, you could have nothing but a yoga mat and a pillow and be completely content. Yep. No, and and just to be aware of the light and the smells and, and all these things. So, um, yeah, and, and ultimately with Dr. Martin, everything we're talking about is really talking about moving away from a narrative sense of self, moving away from a symbolic sense of the world into the non-symbolic perception of the world. It is those non-symbolic moments. And I, I will tell you, I actually wrote about it last week in my blog. Uh, I was going through some photos and I was just struck by this one image of a cloud study. And I, it took me immediately back to being in the Florida Keys at sunset at a very dark point in my life where that sunset, the sky, something erupted to where all of a sudden, all anxiety, all emotional pain was gone. It was that aha, right? It's that God moment. And in fact, I see it over and over. Uh, it went, you know, why do people want to live by water? Well, probably because those sunsets are so powerful that it stops everybody to look and go, ah. And it's that experiencing that ah more frequently in our life and finding ways to connect with our perceptions that allow us to have that non-symbolic experience. Uh, and that's really, uh, and in fact, Dr. Martin talking about well-being is the result of a persistent non-symbolic experience. And, and his definition of persistent is somebody able to experience a non-symbolic sense of, of self, this greater well-being for a period of over a year at a time that you can just see it change over time to where it just evolves to where, you know, the worst place for our un, uh, dissatisfaction in our life right now in, in the United States is the narrative structure around the upcoming presidential election. It is, the polemics of politics in this country has stimulated so much angst, anxiety, anger, protest, uh, marches, people showing up, militia, joining militias and, and, and bearing arms, which goes so far away from uh, helping and being uh, uh, concerned about the well-being of others. It's living in this fear tied to a narrative story. And so Dr. Martin would argue that our well-being comes from having a greater number of non-symbolic experiences having a persistent non-symbolic experience that allows us to reduce the emotional angst, reduce the, the number of thoughts that are perseverating about ourselves, uh, feel a greater sense of connection to an expansiveness rather than a contraction of, of fear of, of not having enough, uh, and being able to just recognize how amazing every day, every moment of our life so I, I guess it, one of the curiosities that brings to me is what about folks, does sentimentality play a place in that? I mean, would you see sentimentality as symbolic? I know we've got to be careful there because the, the, there's also certain people are wired, I think, a little bit more towards sentimentality or the objects. It's the person that can't get rid of anything um, because it ties them to a story to the past. So there's a grounding in the healthy aspect of that. But do you, do you have a sense of where Dr. Martin would say that becomes unhealthy? 
one of the, the descriptors, one of the concepts is this idea of non-dual awareness. And so what you've just described is a duality. Do I, do I want to strive for an extreme in one direction of non-narrative, non-symbolic experiences and to wipe away the, the positive memories, the sentimental memories, or even the wisdom learned from the dark memories? Or uh, the other extreme is I want to hold on to the narrative identity. Uh, and this is where we get back to Kierkegaard uh, that basically is saying that despair is caused by the fact that our self-identity is nothing more than a borrowed sense of self that is a necessary to operate within the context of our life at a particular moment. And that ex existential crisis happens when that borrowed sense of self is no longer in alignment with our life circumstances. And so thinking back of you know, what it means to become a responsible adult and having to shed the, the identity of I'm the child and I get all my needs taken care of by outside uh, from others to becoming the adult where I take care of myself, to become the adult with family where I take care of myself and others, and then go beyond that expansive and take care of the community. So it's, I'm going to say that the Dr. Martin and myself included would say that I would adopt a non-dual, which says it's not one or the other. Yes, but it's having the mental well-being to selectively choose or to go fluidly in and out of sentimentality. Too much sentiment becomes pain and suffering. Buddhism talks about this, the, the idea of, of, of holding on to things as, as suffering. Um, so for example, for me, I had this beautiful 1958 Buick uh, car that I held on to over 30 years. But by the end of it, it caused me nothing but pain because I didn't have the money to, to do a full restoration of it. I didn't have the money to build a large enough garage to put it in. So it was sitting out in my uh, yard rusting, going, deteriorating. And what had been this really wonderful positive thing became this really negative thing. And it wasn't until I was willing to let go of sentimentality and sell it that I was able to move on to uh, a BMW convertible that just brings me incredible joy and it's small <laughs> enough to fit in, you know? <laughs> but, but yeah, good. I, you know, so yes, I had this thing that I held on to for sentimental reasons, but when you hold on to it for too long, then it's time to let go. And I think there's a fluidness of mental well-being that says it doesn't pain me to let it go. And in fact, I felt the joy of the person I sold it to was so excited to have it that the, the person that bought it had a complete shop with a dugout where he could stand underneath to repair it. He was going to do a frame-up restoration. It, it was like the best possible outcome for this sentimental object to be gifted upcycled to somebody that really was in a better position to enjoy it brought me no pain but if i were stuck on the sentimental mm -hmm. then i would i would be stuck in, in a, a a position of emotional pain does okay. that make sense yeah it does it does that's nice nice way of, of explaining that it's and it, it and it shows even as much as i will talk about dualism i will still set up those systems one i this is it, we're so set up and you know it's either good or it's evil it's either right or it's wrong it's, it's really instead of you know being able to put some perspective on it so that was helpful thank you yeah you, you know we're we're human 
and we're going to be wired towards certain facets of the spectrum of being. It's just when we become aware, when we become conscious of uh, it causing pain, emotional pain, then we need to be willing to let that go for the sake of greater emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. And it becomes easier and easier to navigate the challenges. Uh, and, and this is why I'm so committed to this podcast, because really um, you're talking about a whole spectrum of things that go into letting go and making choices. Uh, it, it becomes this philosophical framework for your life. Uh, that you apply that maybe it works now really well and bam, you know, uh, wife has a car accident at the top of the driveway. Yeah. That changed her life. That changed our life. Now, what was this harmonious life pre-existing to that may get disrupted and it may cause us to do something different. We may end up having to, you know, uh, buy, a, buy a car. We might have a car payment now. The insurance may not cover everything or, you know, oh, well. I'm better situated to deal with that from a position of mental flexibility uh, that comes from a greater sense of, of well-being through, through various ways that I've, I've developed that in my life. So here's an interesting one for you. Mental well-being comes at the price of having um, less memory. Time then, man. I've, I've been sitting that way for a long time. I my my predecessor at St. Mark's, uh, Dick Finch, he and I used to always joke how neither of us had a good memory. So, <laughs> so I mean, but but yeah, that's I'm curious about that though. It's and the other we would talk a lot about memory as well, and and talk about our experience of memory is you know it's it's not the actual memory anywhere. It's a memory of a memory of a memory. You know, a lot of times, which you know you, you just I, I'm curious how that works. So how, how, you know, have you seen that playing out for you? Well, for example, um, when I have gone to a class reunion or family gathering, I will have people tell these ex wonderful stories that I have to say to myself, gosh, I don't even remember that. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's interesting is I've grown very comfortable with that because part of, I look at that and go, you know what, I'm not tethered to that or I've moved beyond that. Um, and what's interesting is mental, uh, emotional well-being does trigger some, some memory loss. But what's interesting is it doesn't trigger the loss of specific facts. It just triggers, like that stuff is still there if I needed it. Uh, and for example, I'll give you a, a really interesting uh, experience I had. Um, so my parents moved me to Spokane, Washington from um, San Pedro, California, which is part, it's, it's LA, it's right down by the port of LA. Uh, and I lived there till I was nine years old. And I've been visiting uh, there annually since I was about 16. But Every time I would go down there, I would be completely lost. I'd be fine. I'd be happy and I'd always kind of find my way around. But I would, I would be just kind of like I, I didn't have strong memory of it um, for a variety of reasons. Finally, after many, many years, I decided that I needed to go do a photographic project 
of documenting my childhood neighborhood photographically with film. And I took my son with me. And what was so profound is that I knew that city like the back of my hand. I took my son everywhere. I never had to look at a map. I never had to use Google Drive. Like I had a intention that caused me to need to remember where things were spatially, how to get there because I had specific photographs that I wanted to make. And so it was there. Year later, I go back, visit family. I'm not there for any particular uh, strong reason. I was back there, I couldn't remember anything. And, and so um, the idea there is that we have some loss of memory because we don't need it on, on instant stand. You know, it's there, it's not lost. I just, I don't need to perseverate over those memories. I don't need to, I don't need to spend all my time living in the past. How much, how much emotional anxiety is created by the human being's unique ability to think about the past and think about the future? Worry about the future, lament over the past. Those two extremes of past and future tend to bring a lot of people unhappiness. Mm -hmm. And so if I can let those go, I'm gonna have less memories, but I'm gonna be able to move fluidly, uh, fluidly uh, with ease to when I need it, it's there. No, that's, I think that journey um, is interesting of, of thinking about if, if we do not tether ourselves either to the past or to the future, we are going to be better off. And, and where do we see that? You know, I, I think I see that the most, again, you know, I've, I've Maybe it's, I have a brother going through a divorce um, right now. It's been a very, very painful process. I think that's why that keep, that's very forefront but in my thinking right now. But looking at the traps that happen of either bitterness towards the past of something that's happened or, or who's going to get something in the future that I may not have, instead of, again, looking at the joys of, you know, what's right there, what's, what's, what's right in front of you. Um, and in, instead of trying to win something again, back to that language or, or to try to, um, show mastery of, of something or to try to, I mean, which, which they all, again, have their good aspects, you know, or, you know, not all of them, but, but have their good aspects to them instead of just being present to say, the more you can just be present with, you know, your kids that are there. Um, with your friends that are around and, and, and present with yourself and to say there, there is still so much that is good even in the midst of some very hard stuff that's going on. It's not an easy, not an easy place to get to, but I think, it, it, I think you may be onto something here. Well, I just think of the metaphor of, you know, the world's not black and white, it's shade of, shades of gray yep. and learning to be okay with the gray. Yep, yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, so my last uh, category that uh, uh, Dr. Martin talks about in his research is this idea of a slight decrease in uh, a sense of agency. Uh, and agency is this idea of that um, we can be active uh, choosers, active participants. We can, you know, it's the American dream that says if I just work hard, and, and set my goals, I can achieve everything in my dreams. 
And what happens is uh, that actually a lot of people, that's top-down thinking, that's goal-oriented thinking, and a lot of people can get, get fixated on the goal and become very unhappy. Um, and again, research shows that there's, a, there's only so much income above your minimum needs being met that generates real happiness, right? right. And so a decreased sense of agency um, comes about with this experience of, you know, life is kind of unfolding the way it needs to, and I can just kind of go with the flow. Uh, you see a lot of that with Taoism. Uh, the philosophy of, of Taoism is learning to go with the flow. You hear all these, these little um, axioms of, of truth and wisdom that we hear, you know, going with the flow and and it's about the process, it's about the journey, not the destination. Mm -hmm. Like we know these nuggets of wisdom. Mm -hmm. It's just, can we raise it to an awareness where we can actually apply it in our lives uh, by just learning to be a little more harmonious and a little not so reactive, but responsive? Case in point, I, right now we are, it's, it's one of the things I'm, I'm looking at as we're looking at race relations and um, how, and, you know, so many things happen in culture that, that make you, oh, isn't that terrible, you know, and the reaction and, 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 and then the reaction is, is we got to do something right now instead of being in a place where you can be responsive to say, you know, this is as horrible as something may be. There are, we don't need to just react to it. We can respond with, within the be, our best selves and, and to understand that our best selves can be tapped even in the midst of some very difficult times. So it's, I, I think that question of between reactiveness and responsiveness is one that really excites me because I think it's, it's more and more where I find myself playing with my own thinking is, you know, I, I want to be responsive, but I don't want to just be reacting to what, what, what's, whatever, whatever's happening because there's too much. I mean, in, in some ways, if we're trying to, if we're trying to, you know, react to everything that's happening, it, it gets to be too much. But if we're looking to be responsive from where we find our core, where we find our center, where we find our place of, of well-being, it helps us to realize that, you know, you know, uh, and I think nature teaches us that more than anything is there are regenerative properties that, that, that can happen. And if I don't get to that, that thing today, it's okay. Um, this, is, this is where I'm feeling respond today. And, and yes, and, 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 but it's, I, I would love to tell you, ah, I've got that all, that one all figured out, Eric, but it, it's, 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 that's the wrestling, like, okay, you're acting again, Eric. And, and that's, that's the, that's the conversation that I've been having with myself more lately is mm -hmm. to say, are you being reactive or are you being responsive? Um, and, and don't always have that answer, but I, I think I'm hopefully getting better at that in the sense of, I respond. I would guess as a teacher, you're having to play with that all the time the students come to you is how, how do you not react to the students, but how do you respond um, in ways that make sense? That's been an important part of my maturation process as an educator. Um, I was not good at that early in my career. Um, and, you know, that's where I value the fact that in a um, 
in any environment, whether it's work, home, diversity is really beneficial because, for example, where I, I work at the community college, I've grown to really appreciate the ratio of experienced faculty who've been there 30, 40 years and faculty are just starting out and somewhere in between and that you need an ecology that has these dialogues of wisdom happening because you know the 30 or 40 uh, year teacher is going to need to learn some new technology new things new ideas and adapt to changing student demographics on the other hand the the faculty that's just starting out that's really adept at this level needs that wisdom passed on of the, the greater understanding of uh, being able to work with ease and respond to students rather than reacting and mm -hmm. you know um, not everything needs to move at 100,000 miles an hour that we, you know and, and, and that grounding uh, of, of process that leads to a, a successful outcome. Yeah, and that's right, because that's what we're looking for a lot of times is, is that, in a sense, that successful outcome that, you know, yeah, it, sometimes if you're, if you're just reacting, you know, yes, you can get the next thing put in place, but there's no grounding to it and take a step back. So I'll let you know in 10 years how I'm doing with that, but uh, um, I, I, every once in a while, I really still catch myself with, with that, you know, somebody um, wants to leave a group or somebody wants to, you know, kind of uh, has, comes up with the next great idea because of, I, I think a place to talk about it with, it is, is in the race, race conversation. We've got to be in this for the long term because if we're not, if we're not in, into it for the long haul, you know, are reacting to the death of George Floyd isn't, you know, isn't going to sustain anything. It's not going to lead to any change. But if, if we want to respond to say, this is really a series of a number of things, how are we going to respond? How, you know, and I think there is some responding going on that that's going to be very helpful moving forward. So I'm optimistic. I am too. Optimistic. I am too. Yeah. So the last thing I want to talk about today is, uh, is what are steps that we can take to acquire overall uh, emotional well-being uh, or enlightenment as, as we've historically called it, particularly uh, in America, we have the, the transcendentalist and this idea of the in, enlightenment, um, you know, the, the uh, works of Thoreau and Emerson and, and just this uh, particularly American uh, form of transcendence through nature uh, and, and wildness and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I do think that spending time out in wilderness, out in nature, uh, very much helps people experience a greater sense of well-being. And so um, I'm always going to uh, try to support ways to increase green space in, our, in my life, uh, in our communities, parks, we're blessed in Spokane uh, mm -hmm. to have such an abundance of green space, mm -hmm. um, but it's something that we need to be aware of so we can protect it. Uh, but there are steps. There are not a recipe. There's not a single file uh, direct path to enlightenment. Um, it is about finding what works for each of us. 
And so there's a, a process to acquiring well-being. There is not a specific path. It's a process. Uh, and so um, there is basically two categories of techniques or strategies to um, achieve um, enlightenment or, or well-being. The first category is what we talk about as in-the-mind techniques. Uh, this is where we are addressing that narrative ego, that narrative sense of self directly. Uh, and so those in-the-mind techniques can include going to counseling, uh, cognitive behavior therapy, uh, it, it, particularly if somebody is dealing with a, uh, a despair associated with addiction uh, or trauma or PTSD, um, we, need to, we need to address that from uh, a narrative in the mind technique approach. Um, also, interestingly enough, a lot of people achieve um, their their sense of well-being as the result of having gone through a transformational loss that leads to them becoming aware of their despair and becoming uh, able to let go and gain that sense of well-being. Uh, and so for some people, they have just, you know, they reach rock bottom. And when you reach rock bottom, there's only one way to go, right? And it's up uh, to a, a state of well-being. Uh, so that's, that's a very hard, hard method to go. Uh, and that's for people that have gone through some pretty extreme life events. Uh, for the rest of us, uh, the, uh, the many that fit in the middle of average, um, there's going to be some um, in-the-mind techniques that might start with cognitive behavior therapy um, or a lot of positive psychology, uh, which is where um, I'll have a link to, there's like over 50 positive psychology strategies that we can embed in our life. And then and you don't have to do all 50, but you can experiment and find the ones that make sense for you. Uh, for some people, the positive psychology might come through a journaling uh, uh, strategy, a gratitude journal, uh, which has been shown to have huge, profound mental health, uh, positive mental health benefits that far uh, outlast the act of journaling. You could quit after seven weeks and you would have a uh, over six months worth of mental health well-being experience uh, in your life. So a lot of positive psychology is related to developing positive habits. And I think that gets back to what you were talking about, positive addiction. I think there's a difference between a positive addiction and a positive habit. Uh, because I think a habit is something you do, but it's not as regimented or rigid. You're not going to suffer if it doesn't happen that day or it gets interrupted, so to speak. The second category are what we call on the mind techniques, which can positively impact the in the mind thinking, uh, because in the mind is dealing with our thoughts and, 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 and what we think about our lives and ourselves and that sort of thing. Uh, or what we think about others and our place within the world. On the mind technique is not uh, focused so much on us, but rather an awareness-centered practice. Uh, it might be um, just getting into a walking uh, meditation of just going out and being in nature. Uh, it might be a, a meditation practice 
But the difference is a lot of meditation practices use guided imagery. So instead of focusing on ourselves or our past or our problems, we're guided towards just this uh, hyper awareness of how wonderful we are in the world right this moment. Uh, and so um, any sort of mindfulness-based practice that might include meditation, might include yoga, might include journaling, uh, any number of, of things can, can go in there. Um, and this is where uh, faith, uh, a prayer practice, um, you know, when we pray, we have the opportunity to create a vision of harmony and, and happiness and to pray for well-being. Uh, and, and this is one of the interesting things I got from my uh, recent conversation with Pastor Edwin that goes along with the faith practice, and that's the role of ritual. And ritual can give us the words when we can't really formulate the words ourselves. And I think that can uh, be an on-the-mind technique that I can use the ritual of uh, praying the you know, uh, Nicene prayer or the uh, uh, creed or, or just any, any number of prayers that have maybe been passed down to your family. Um, and one of my favorites is just in the, uh, it tends to come up in the fall and winter time. I get very excited about uh, um, the liturgy of the hours. And, and the different prayers for different times of day, and that our faith practice can really help us move away from the narrative self and towards a spiritual enlightenment. One of the things that, as you said, it's, this isn't as pre prescript, prescriptive. It's, it's finding that language that's going to work for you. So I even talk, when I talk about prayer um, to folks, you know, I think, yeah, for some, my dad getting down on his knees before he'd go to bed, that sort of ritual worked for him. Yep. For me, um, if I'm on a walk or if I'm running or if I'm bike riding, my prayer life is a lot better because mm -hmm. I, I, I like the activeness that, but for, for others, listening to music or, or, or playing music um, can be a very prayerful. All, all of those things that, that move us again to, to see what is of value right right here right now and and what is good you know in our midst i i, I think are always of of thinking about the positive positions of prayer and positive ways of prayer so yeah uh, another uh, uh technique is is through curiosity through learning being actively engaged in learning new things and not being stuck in the rut of this is my life and this is all I know and this is all I care to know. Um, curiosity, uh, for me, uh, having a ritual of listening to podcasts has been really helpful to my overall well-being. Uh, and so it's about finding the right combination through trial and error uh, and paying attention. It's just paying attention is this working for me and not being dogmatic about it to the point where what works initially may not work in the long term because you're going to change over time and your life needs are going to change over time. And so you need to evolve with it. Uh, and I think that's one of the things I love is the fact that as I become aware of my own spiritual circadian rhythm, um, I return to different activities at different seasons of the year 
and I return to different regimens in my life at different times of year as well. And learning to just find what is harmonious for me. What's your own farmer's almanac, so to speak? Yeah, that's nice. That's a nice, nice way to put it. Because I think all of those things, and I, I like the, I, I like two things that you said: trial and error. Um, because you don't, and and we need to have trial and error all our lives. And and curiosity. I had a counselor, um, a pastoral counselor, actually, that I saw, and in the midst of seeing him. Um, one of the things uh, that happened uh, was we were talking about conflict and you said, the best way I've learned to deal with conflict is just through curiosity, to, to get very curious about what's happening with the other person, what they're thinking about um, and what's going on. Um, uh, and so curiosity is, is a word that I think we all need to hold on to. And, when, when things are going south, the more curious we can get about what's going on here, you know, and allow, but without turning that into a system either, right, is, is just beneficial. Well, so wisdom, the, one of the definitions of wisdom is the ability to remain curious in the face of adversity. Wisdom comes from that self-reflection of what can I learn from this adverse experience? And conflict is the adversity that gives us the opportunity to gain wisdom. Nice. Nice. I think that's a good place to wrap up for us today. I think so too. Well, thanks. I, uh, I really appreciate our time together. And, oh, uh, me too. I'm, I'm glad we're able to, to get back together and I'm glad you're, you're safely relocated to Eugene and uh, I'm excited for you. And uh, yeah, have a great right. week. Absolutely. You too. Thank you for joining us today on The Spiritual Hedgehog. For show notes and more information, go to www.thespiritualhedgehog.com.